Well, thank you everyone for joining us, and happy Mother's Day. I had some ideas about having the kids stand up and tell us if they actually got made breakfast for mom in bed this morning. I thought I don't want to embarrass the teenagers in the room for the younger ones that took care of moms. I also thought about uh, doing some other things, but uh, today's a celebration. You know, every day is a celebration as we rejoice God's goodness, but it's especially today. I just love having these opportunities on special Sundays as we get to honor mothers in looking at how they have done such amazing things in and through their lives. To honor the legacy of mothers who have poured into their children and thus poured into the kingdom of God. Now let's be honest. This job of being a mom is not so easy. I'm seeing some heads nodding around there. It's not easy for a lot of reasons because we as children, remember, we all either are or were children at some time. We didn't necessarily make it easy on our moms. And husbands, you know, we end up contributing to that too, when, particularly when we act like children. All right, so let's think about that. I think back to my time in the Navy as we, uh, we'd go shopping, getting ready for a Mother's Day. You know, you'd see the T-shirt said Navy Mom. Well, that wasn't for Kathy because that was really for a mom who had a sailor in the Navy. Uh, But then there was another, there's a whole section right next to that that really spoke to this issue. It actually said Navy wife, the toughest job in the Navy. Now, that wasn't just because they were married to sailors, but it meant they had to carry a burden that was meant to be shared. But as I deployed six times in the Navy, as I was underway for months at a time at other points, or I'd be traveling for work or not, Kathy was at home, carrying the load, caring for our family, essentially being a single mom. And I know there are, even, there are single moms in here that the end of a deployment isn't the relief to that. So we want to look at all those things. But that's not the only thing that makes motherhood hard. What makes the weight of Christian motherhood feel so heavy? What makes the joy of Christian motherhood so full is the importance in the kingdom of God that's placed on this responsibility. And so in the heart of a Christian mother is the desire for God's glory as they choose to pour that into their family. But then they also have that visible observable of whether or not we're fully receiving it. And so sometimes that's not even so easy as a mother. The psalmist describes this desire in a mom that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but to keep His commandments. That's the desire that God puts upon the heart of Christian mothers seeking to see their family put their confidence in God. And kids, remember, like I said, we were all kids once, right? Well, when we fall short, We're not the only ones that hurt in that because of the desire in our mother's hearts. Well, today I want us to honor mothers. I want us to honor the mothers of many children as well as the mothers of just one child because it's God who knew exactly how many kids he was going to place in each family. And these mothers have loved and cared for each of them. I want us to honor foster moms and adoptive moms because motherhood's not just simply about biology. 
It's about the loving connection that mothers hold for their children. I want to honor grandmothers who, after a lifetime of caring for their own children, are now helping to care for the next generation. I want to honor mothers also who've lost a child because in their hearts is a desire to love someone that they don't have a direct avenue to be able to pour into. And I also want to honor any women here who wanted to become mothers, who want and have a desire to be mothers, but in God's sovereign hand, that just isn't the situation. But no matter our situation or circumstances, as we give honor to mothers, we want to show gratitude for God's goodness to mothers. Because though none of us would be here without a mother, I think we can say that with a truth. That's a fact, right? None of us would be here without a mother. We have to look one step further and give thanks also to God's goodness to mothers and honor the impact that they have because of God in their lives. This fits right in with our annual theme of growing in gospel gratitude. And though we're going to step out of the verse-by-verse study of Philippians for this week, we can see God's goodness in the church of Philippi. Because the letter was written by Paul, ministering alongside with Timothy. And God's Word tells us that it was Timothy's mother who was the one that brought him to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he came along to minister alongside and grow and be discipled by Paul. We considered centering today's message on Timothy's mother, but we made a choice that we wanted to look at a larger impact in the kingdom and ultimately the view of mothers on how they leave a legacy of God's goodness for the next generation. And so today we're going to focus our time on one mother as shown in the first chapters of 1 Samuel. And so if you will, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now, to give you some specific context for this true story, we need to look backwards to the books that are right before it, and particularly the book of Judges, because the book of Judges shows us the nature of what was going on in Israel at the time, how the people of Israel, how they tended to rely upon themselves, and that would put them into a position where they were oppressed by their enemies. It would cause them to have to cry out to God because they didn't know what to do. But God, each time, would send a deliverer, one who would bring peace to the nation. And there would be peace for a period of time. But then they returned right back, and they would forget God, and they would start all over again. The book of Judges closes by saying, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sound familiar? That's a story, that's a sermon for another day. So let's look at God's goodness today to a mother in a time when there was so much chaos going on around her and her desire for being a mother and the legacy that that would leave in the kingdom. Read with me in uh, the first book of Samuel. I'm going to start right from verse 1. Now there was a certain man from Ramathame Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and to her daughters, 
But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. And so she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will you give your maidservant a son and then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and a razor shall not come upon his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, but only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my greatest concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. What a beautiful picture of a woman who wanted to have, she wanted a child, but when we see her heart behind it, it was about the kingdom and what would come of this child in the kingdom. And so with this picture in mind today, I'd like us to speak to mothers about four actions that leave a legacy of God's goodness to the next generation. Let me be clear about something now as I look around to all the non-mothers sitting in the room. This is not your time to tune out. Because as we look at these practical actions for mothers, they do apply to all of us. And so we want to walk together in this celebration. So when we consider Hannah's situation and we look at her response, we can know a message that she would speak to us today that we need to recognize our need for God regularly. No matter how deeply Hannah had desired to be a mother, her situation was in God's hands. It said that Elkanah had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other Peninnah. But it says Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now Hannah's name means favored, but in what we see, she seems to be far from being favored. For a wife to be without children in this time, to be barren, that was not a sign of God's blessing, 
It certainly wasn't a calling for her to go out and get a corporate job. No, children were viewed as a blessing, and the lack of children meant lack of blessing, even a curse. So when we look at Hannah's example, we need to follow where she went because she was looking for comfort. It happened year after year as often as she went where? Up to the house of the Lord. Hannah didn't say, if, you won't, if God won't give me children, I'll go make a name for myself. Hannah recognized her need for the Lord. And when it seemed she'd not found God's favor, even when it meant she would be treated cruelly by those close to her, she continued year after year to go to the house of the Lord. So can we take that as our first application for today? That regardless of the circumstances that we're walking in, will we choose to turn to the Lord in all circumstances? To turn to Him in prayer, even in lament, to turn to Him in worship. In fact, even today, coming to the house of the Lord on this Sunday, well, that's a visible action of turning to God. And so, we want to do so, to see our need for Him, and then when we recognize our God, we can do so. First, we need to acknowledge our human limits. Now, when I talk about limits here, I'm talking about them twofold. First, we have physical limitations. The Scripture shows us that Hannah was barren. There was nothing that she could do about that. Now, I'm confident, although Scripture doesn't say it, that Hannah probably talked to the midwives, and she sought advice about increasing her chance of becoming pregnant, the same as I would expect a mother today, to seek medical advice, to understand if there were physical reasons that were causing this empty place in her heart caused by an inability to conceive. We have to acknowledge our human limits so that ultimately, even with medical assistance, we'll recognize our need for God to fill in our desires, even in this case, the desire for a child. But more than just childbirth, we have to acknowledge our human limits, even as a mother. Now, I know we all picture our mothers with the superwoman cape flowing in the wind behind them, except my daughters. They would say, no capes. Now, for the first mom who comes and tells me what movie quote that came from, I'll get you an extra chocolate bar, okay? But we all have to acknowledge the limits. Why? Because it causes us to trust in God for what we are truly unable to do. Now, you heard me say our limits, twofold, physical, but spiritual as well. Because not even a mother can fix our greatest human limit our sinful flesh that would separate us from the loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. No mother can swoop in and fix that problem. Not even a mother can pay the debt we owe due to our sin. And we need to acknowledge that human limitation. Acknowledge our sin. Recognize our need in God for salvation. And so even mothers... Mothers, if you're here today and you have not acknowledged your inability to fix this problem, well, there's no greater legacy that you could leave for your children to make that choice today. And kids of all ages, if you are here today and you recognize your need for a Savior, one that's even greater than your mom, if you're ready to repent of your sin and choose to follow Jesus Christ, There's no greater Mother's Day gift than you could give 
to your mother better than any flowers or chocolate. And then as we recognize our need for God regularly, Hannah's example shows us our need to bring our concerns before the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept, better, wept, wept bitterly. Because even in the face of long-term, unmet desires, Hannah did not go to her husband to complain about how he had not provided a child for her. She also didn't go down the street to all of her girlfriends and complain about what she didn't have, possibly sucking all the joy out of the room for all the other mothers. But even in the face of her human limitations, in her continued suffering, and even in the torment from Penina, when it caused her great distress for Hannah to continue thinking about this desire for a child, she took her requests to the Lord. And so how about us? How are we doing in taking our requests before the Lord? Does your prayer life demonstrate that you recognize your need for God regularly? I want you to consider another practical means that we can walk this out in a way that helps us to see our recognition for our need for God. Consider a prayer journal. Now, I know there are some of you in here, when I say prayer journal, that might mean that one prayer includes writing for pages and pages in your journal. And others might be thinking about that idea and going, there is no way I could do that. But that's not what it has to look like. What if it was just as simple as a journal book or a simple notebook, and on one line you wrote just two to three words of what your request before God was, and then you put a date next to it, and you pray. And then the next day when you come back and you're praying again, you go look and you, you pray for that same thing and you put another date there. It can be that simple. Like Hannah, even if that continues on for year after year, we're called to take our concerns before God, knowing that the Lord weighs hearts. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with Him actions are weighed. With God, He knows and even sees into the depths of our hearts, understanding what we truly need and the heart that's behind those prayers. Will we trust God in the answer? Will we trust Him in the timing of His response? James 4.3 tells us that we ask and do not receive because we ask with the wrong motives. But sometimes it's not even motives. It's sometimes we just ask too small. It's the Lord who weighs the heart and He knows our greatest need. Consider the answer Jesus gave to Mary and Martha when they asked Jesus to come and heal their brother Lazarus. But He said, no. He waited And Lazarus died. But consider why he said no and delayed coming. Patrick Sliman at the uh, Master's uh, Seminary describes it like this. He says, Jesus saw a greater need for the sisters, more than a healer, they needed a Savior. More than a cure, they needed His cross. This is why Jesus adds, so that the Son of God may be glorified. A reference to the sacrificial and atoning death of Jesus Christ. And in the case of Hannah, God had weighed her heart and responded by giving her a child, not as a means of taking away the suffering that she was going through, not even as a means of just simply making her happy by giving her a child, 
but because it was a part of God's greater plan that would glorify Him and ultimately lead to the true King of Israel in Jesus Christ. And so trusting that God knows our hearts, we can trust God's heart, a faithful, gentle, humble heart that answers with our greatest good. And so in addition to recognizing our need for God regularly, we also see how Hannah's example calls us to continue to trust God through trials. You see, Hannah's prayers, her years of prayers were not easy. Because in Israel, we're not looking at a time when the worship of Yahweh was pleasing to God. This verse is kind of tucked in there, and it's un- I have to question why. Now this man would go up to the city to worship and sacrifice, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. The reason Hophni and Phinehas are mentioned at this point is a forerunner to the rest of their story in chapter 2. These men are described as worthless who did not know the Lord, and yet they were priests, priests of the Lord. Scripture even describes that they despised the offering of the Lord. What that's telling us is that this was a self-centered culture, even within the temple. This was the environment where Hannah was going to pray. doesn't sound like a place where Hannah would have felt others lifting her up in her time of suffering. And so her example helps us to see that we need to continue to trust God through the trial even when culture challenges your commitments. As I described, this was a culture and worship surrounding how Hannah would seek God in prayer. But when we ask, is it really any different than the culture that we are immersed in today? Hophni and Phinehas believed that they could do whatever they pleased, whatever was right in their own eyes, because they were the ones setting the agenda in the place of worship. Well, who surrounds us today? They may not be called priests of the Lord, but are they the ones attempting to define what we will worship today? In a relativistic culture where value is placed on allowing everyone to believe what they feel is right in their own context, and truth is rejected because it challenges the way that we feel, how will we choose to trust God through our trials, even when culture is pressing down and challenging that commitment? Will we hold fast to the truth and the authority of God's Word in our lives, even in the face of others who loudly oppose that truth? Mothers, will you hold fast to the truth in teaching your children, even when the culture is telling them the opposite thing. Pastor Viers' op-ed that uh, went into the paper last weekend, and it's on the Faith blog if you want to read it, it speaks to how we should respond when culture challenges our commitment. And it's not that we're called to fight back with every ounce of our strength, but rather to stand firm in our commitment to God's authority in our lives, and as such then responding in love, even in the face of attacks upon His name. You see, when everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, will you trust God and wait? Wait for the blessing that comes on the other side of that battle? You see, for Hannah... It looked like her trusting God for years and years, even when her rivals were trying to tear her down. They would provoke her bitterly and irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. 
It happened year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. That's Peninnah provoking Hannah. So Hannah wept, and she would not eat. Consider what that might have been like. To live in a home with Peninnah, to have to receive from her the hatred, the mockery, and the abuse year after year. Yet Hannah continued to seek God. But it wasn't just the attacks inside the family. Notice how she lacked support from outside her family as well because spiritual leadership was lacking. Now it came about when she was praying, Eli thought she was drunk. He even said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. I've got to tell you, David and I look at passages like this, looking at how our hearts in serving all of you to ensure that we're seeking to be pleasing to God. But even there, we'll fall short, just as Eli initially fell short in how he viewed Hannah's prayers to God. Husbands, I know it's not Father's Day yet, but I'm going to exhort you here as well. Because for our wives, the mothers of our children, to trust God in the face of trials, we must be the ones to lead, to protect the ground on which they will stand when culture is challenging the truth, to build them up in God's truth, even when their rivals tear them down. Husbands, we're called to support them in that and to lead Now, this is an area I believe Elkanah actually did well. As we saw, he continued year after year to bring his family to the house of the Lord, including Hannah. And for us, it may not be year after year. It may be week after week after week, walking with our wives together so that we can trust God through our trials. And then, as we recognize our need and we continue to trust God, then we'll be able to keep Christ central as parents. The centrality of the gospel in our homes will be a reflection of how we've chosen to live these principles that we've found in points one and point two. When we recognize our needs for God, we'll recognize our family's need for God and we'll choose to bring Christ central within our family. Just as Deuteronomy 6 and 7 calls, that you shall teach them diligently You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. That Scripture doesn't give us an open door that we can find other times and places to put it aside. It goes along with our purpose in 1 Corinthians. When, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, that's everything, folks. Do all to the glory of God. These verses impact our call as parents so that we don't leave the door open to just a little bit of the gospel and a lot of the world as well. When Christ saved you and me, He did not take us out of this world, but He called us to not be of this world, which means that we must seek to look at every opportunity to be a gospel-teaching opportunity within our families, for our children, because they look at you and I. And the question is, will they see our desire to glorify Christ before we choose to glorify ourselves? The call to keep Christ central in our own lives comes because of the passing worthiness, the value of knowing Christ as we've learned in Philippians. And it also comes as a motivation for sharing that same value to keep Christ central as parents. It comes 
when we see our children as the gift of God, the grace bestowed upon us, because children are a gift that belong to God. For Hannah, Samuel was truly an answer to her prayers, a gift from God, which then she dedicates back to God. This boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So now I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he's dedicated to the Lord. But this grace of a child given was not just for Hannah. It's for us as well. Because children are described in this way for us all in Psalm 27, 3. Behold, children are a gift of a Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And if we see our children, if our children are a gift, a reward that belongs to God, then I ask, how will we help them to see how God views them? By keeping Christ central in our family. And then that they would see that Christ is exalted. Look at how Hannah closes her prayer in the next chapter. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them He will thunder in the heavens, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and will exalt the horn of His anointed. Hannah has moved forward from giving thanks for her son to now praising God and speaking of God's ultimate purpose in all of this, that He, the Father, is bringing a King into this world and that He alone, Christ, will be exalted. And so how will we do that as parents? How will we make Christ central to our kids? Well, I'm thankful that you're here because it starts today by making Christ a priority on Sunday morning. But I want to challenge you, what will make Christ central next Sunday and the Sunday after that? Will your summer camping schedule, your vacation schedule become the priority over the centrality of Christ in your family and being in the Lord's house? Do you schedule your vacation with Christ in the middle? More than just watching the live stream at, your con- at a convenient time, do you find a time to worship even in your vacation? Or here's a challenge. What if you came home a day early? You came home on Saturday so that you can be in the Lord's house on Sunday. What's the message you would be sending to your children that Christ is central? Now, I know some might not like this statement either, but what about summer sports calendars? What will be the priority when sports conflict with worship? Even if baseball might be a path to a scholarship or the big leagues, is that more important than exalting Christ before your kids? Folks, as your pastor, I love you too much not to say something like that. But then what about during the week? How do your kids know that you want to put Christ at the center on Monday or even on Friday? What if you chose, I mean, a lot of times in counseling, I ask husbands and wives to pray together. But what if we now brought our kids into that and we pray with our children helping them also to bring their concerns before God, just as Hannah did. Now, some of you might also be starting to cringe because you're thinking, where's he going? He's going to say those words, family devotionals. I've tried that before. It just didn't stick. It's so hard. It doesn't have to hurt. 
Years ago, Kathy and I tried something a little different. We tried something out of the box. We, tried, we found a plugged-in online devotional about movies. That we, they were movies we wanted to watch anyway. And so we sat down over popcorn in a movie, watched the movie, and then these devotional gave us an opportunity to be able to ask some questions that looked at how Christ could be found and talked about even through movies. Now, there's a wide variety of family devotionals out there that can help you get started. But the key in it all, I just want to say, is to, one, get started. And then, two, persevere. Because even if we fail to come back to family devotionals on two, we have another opportunity on the next day and another opportunity on the next day. And how will we exalt Christ by saying, even if I didn't say, do exactly what I said I was going to do, but I'm still going to make that a priority. And then there's other opportunities. What about Vacation Bible School? Are you willing to make Christ central that week in June? Even if it means running home after work for a quick dinner and swinging right back down here to the north end. Even if it means, are you ready to exalt Christ by playing games with kids? Possibly even getting silly with them a little bit so that they might see their need for Christ. By the way, there are sign-ups in the back. Or if you want to be an example to your kids to show how you're exalting Christ, what about inviting your neighbors? Will your kids see you walking next door where there's kids they're playing with and going to their parents and inviting them to bring their children to vacation Bible school? Building a legacy of God's goodness for the next generation Well, it starts with recognizing our need for God regularly. It it continues in trusting God through our trials and by keeping Christ central as a parent. But our last action to cement that legacy is one that we'll provide and it will hold it all together like glue. It's the encouragement that will help you to press on toward the goal of knowing knowing Jesus Christ. Our fourth action for today is that we would give gratitude for God's grace. Because if we begin to look past our need for God today, and when we begin to look for something or someone else to provide comfort in our trials, or anything else begins to creep into, creep into its way into the central part of our lives, when we see this happening, we can reverse that trend. Because we can reinforce the legacy of God's goodness by giving thanks for the grace that was received when our requests were heard. Hannah did so. She said, For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Do you remember our prayer journal that we talked about? What if each month you went back to that prayer journal and you reviewed it? How many times have you actually prayed for something? And then next to each of those on that page, maybe it's just in the margin, you list the grace that has been received in response to that prayer request. Now, what you're listing there, maybe it's, it's the direct answer to what you asked for. And if it is, we give praise. We give get gratitude for God for His grace. But we also have to give thanks for the grace we needed but we might not have requested. 
because maybe it was the strength to face or the strength to persevere as we faced opposition. Maybe it was the patience we needed as we were waiting for God in the midst of a trial. Or maybe it's the answer to the prayer that you didn't expect, something far greater than you ever asked for. We give thanks, and giving gratitude for God's grace will be a blessing to your soul. And in a tremendous show of gratitude, who else could you bless by sharing those answers to prayer that you're seeing coming each month? What about giving gratitude for the grace God knew that we needed long before we'd even meet our need? Here's one we need to go back to over and over again. We need to rejoice in our salvation. We should rejoice in our salvation because it represents a complete reversal of our position before God. You see, when we look at Hannah's story, that's what we see. We see a story of reversals. We see at one point here how she, her husband had asked her, how, why are you so downhearted? But later she begins her prayer by saying, my heart rejoices. It's a reversal. She began as barren and seen as unfavored. But by the end of this story, God had opened her womb and she was seen as fruitful, favored. And then looking at ourselves like Hannah, we begin barren and fruitless particularly spiritually speaking. And in Hannah's story, we see God bring life where there had been no life. And we can see that in the Word. But God being rich in mercy because of His great love for which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive with Christ. By grace you've been saved. The greatest reversal that could ever happen in our lives, so we can rejoice because by God's grace, as an answer to a simple prayer of confession, our lives have been reversed where God brings life where there was once death. And in His care, we give thanks because there's nothing that can separate us from His love and nothing that can take us out from His watchful eye. Hebrews 13.5 echoes this truth as He says, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. And so in all of this, we give gratitude for God's grace. And so how much more can we honor Him? Mothers, how much more can you honor Him? Everyone, how much can we honor our mothers by seeing God's goodness in their lives? By sharing a thankful heart with others that they too might begin to see the legacy of God's goodness to the next generation. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank You. Lord, we come before You today just in deep gratitude. Lord, for the work that You do in each and every mother. Lord, that You have brought life through them. And Lord, that through them, we see a reflection of Your love for us. Lord, a love that in no greater way came to us on the cross. And we give thankfulness, Lord, because it's in that salvation that we can continue to draw close to You. Lord, I want to pray for mothers today. Lord, I pray that their desire for their children and their 
choices would build a legacy of your goodness to the next generation and their families. Lord, as they demonstrate how we need you, as they demonstrate a trust in you walking through trials, Lord, as they bring you central in each day before their children, and Lord, as we give gratitude for each grace that you have presented before us. Father, we thank you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.